When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. This view is great. The ocean, the sand, If you look out far enough, you can see where the sky and the waters meet. And yet, you know that Valinor is out there somewhere over the horizon. We are at the mouth of the Syrian. This is the place where, well, most of the remnant of the elves have come to live. There's here, and then there's also... The island of Balar, where Círdan, Gilgalad, and some of the other elven people live. And over here, just, just off the coast, there's this beautiful ship. It's white and gold and silver. And it's about to set sail. Arendil will be on it, searching... Well, both for his parents, and for a way back to Valinor, if that's even possible. It's not supposed to be possible, right? This is a fool's errand. And yet, times are desperate. Now, at this location, here at the mouth of the Syrian, and in Balar, on the island... These aren't the only locations that elves or men still dwell. This is just the remnant of the peoples that we have been following. There are still sons of Feanor out there. In their own hidden away locations. And they are still bound by their vow to get back the Silmarils however they can. And right here, on the mouth of the Syrian, is the jewel that Baron and Luthien took from Morgoth's crown. Because Elwing, the daughter of Dior, the son of Baron and Luthien, is the one who wields it. She holds the gem. And with it, she has brought back light to this location and hope to these people. And that's where our story begins today. We are beginning 
the 24th chapter of the Silmarillion. This is the last chapter. This is it. And it's a fairly large chapter, too. There's a lot that is covered in this section of the book. But it begins with the voyage of Erindil. And Erindil, we are told, is at this point in the story has grown and is a is an adult, or at least old enough to be considered an adult. Old enough, in fact, to take Elwing as a wife, to become married. Elwing the Fair and Erindil are brought together. And this is another one of those interesting pairings because of the parenthood of each of these individuals. Elwing coming from Baron and Luthien, who, of course, Thingol and Melian. There's a mix of ancestry there that connects Maiar to elf to man. And then on the other side, Erindil, who is also a mix of Manish and Elvish ancestry as well, from a different house of men even. So you have this coming together of all of the free peoples and a Maiar in the mix, biologically, across these two. And immediately we are told that they bear children. Their children are Elrond and Elros. Elrond should sound familiar because this is the same Elrond from The Lord of the Rings. This is the same Elrond that we saw in The Rings of Power from the Second Age. This is their son. This Elrond chooses an elvish life. And in contrast, his brother Elros chooses a mannish life that's within their design, that's within who they are to be able to make that choice. And both of these are called half-elven, Elrond half-elven. That name is used in The Lord of the Rings. Elros also had the same title, but was half-mannish as well. It's half-elven assumes half-man in the lineage. You get it. So, Arendelle's story here talks about how he just could not rest. He had that longing for the sea, just like his father. And in this location, in the mouth of Syrian, with the help of Círdan the shipwright, who he becomes good friends with, a ship is created. This ship is beautiful. It is called Vingalut. The foam flower, fairest of the ships of song. Golden were its oars, and white its timbers, hewn in the birchwoods of Nimberthil. And its sails were as the argent moon. Silver, that's what that means, argent. Now the colors here are probably important. Gold and silver, those are the colors of the trees. And white, white is the color of the wood. So this ship would have been very visible at a distance. It also would have been not only extremely beautiful, but symbolic of these people and the things that they value. And this longing to go back to Valinor, the ship itself is almost like a sign that says, hey, I belong back there. And so Arendil heads off into the horizon, seeking a passage back to Valinor. 
And we're told this in the text. In the Lay of Arendil is many a thing sung of his adventures in the deep and in lands untrodden, and in many seas and in many isles. But Elwing was not with him, and she sat in sorrow by the mouths of Syrian. She did not go with him on his adventures. She was there with the people. She was still holding on to the Silmaril. We're also told that Arendelle found not Tour nor Idril, nor came he ever on that journey to the shores of Valinor, defeated by shadows and enchantment, driven by repelling winds, until in longing for Elwing, he returned homeward toward the coast of Beleriand. And his heart bade him haste, for a sudden fear had fallen on him out of dreams, and the winds that before he had striven with might not now bear him back as swift as he desired. So we need to pause here and talk a little bit about this. He is out there exploring the open ocean, finding these isolated islands, and yet still being foiled in his attempt to go further and further to the west through shadow and enchantment. And then he has these dreams, this warning, this dire feeling inside that something is going to go wrong, that potentially Elwing is in danger. And where do these dreams come from? Dreams symbolically in books are usually portents of the future. They are often attributed to some sort of deity or more knowledgeable magical force, things like that. We know that Ulmo is out there rooting him on, had basically brought him and all of these people to this location and was trying to petition the Valar and the Valar wouldn't hear anything of it. So Ulmo's doing his best in order to help Erindil in this moment. And yet something is going to happen. Is that Ulmo somehow knowing that this is going to happen? I don't believe he has foreknowledge like that. Or is this one of those moments where Eru, Iluvatar, taps into the minds of these individuals and gives them just a little bit more of what they need in that moment? The very next sentence in the text lets us know what the danger is. Now when first tidings came to Maedhros that Elwing yet lived and dwelt in possession of the Silmaril by the mouths of the Syrian, he, repenting of the deeds in Doriath, withheld his hand. But in time the knowledge of their oath unfulfilled returned to torment him and his brothers, and gathering from their wandering hunting paths, they sent messages to the havens of friendship and yet of stern demand." So we know that Maedhros has been holding back. He and the rest of these elves that are still under the sons of Feanor have been basically wandering the wilds, hunting. And in this time, they've decided not to go after the Silmaril right now. But it starts to eat at them. The oath is still there. They are still bound by it. And so they send communication friendly communication at first. Hey, we know you're still out there. We also know that you have something of ours. We would like it back. 
I'm imagining it said something similar to that, probably a little bit more flowery, but that was probably the message. This goes on, though. Then Elwing and the people of Syrian would not yield the jewel which Baron had won and Luthien had worn, and for which Dior the fair was slain. And least of all, while Erindil, their lord, was on the sea, for it seemed to them that in the Silmaril lay the healing and the blessing that had come upon their houses and their ships. The light of the Silmaril was still working in these people. It goes on. And so there came to pass the last and cruelest of the slayings of elf by elf. And that was the third of the great wrongs achieved by the accursed oath. This oath has been unmaking the elves in Middle-earth for centuries. For the sons of Feanor that yet lived came down suddenly upon the exiles of Gondolin and the remnant of Doriath and destroyed them. In that battle, some of their people stood aside, and some few rebelled and were slain upon the other part aiding Elwing against their own lords. Can you imagine this? The sons of Feanor, there are four that are left, and their people rain down on this group, on the coast, with nowhere else to go. And it is so debated among the rest of the group that some of them stand aside. They cannot lift a weapon or a fist or anything against their own people. They're done. And some of them rejected the idea so outright that they stood up for Elwing and her people and were slain in the process. We're told here, for such was the sorrow and confusion in the hearts of the Eldar in those days. They knew that this was wrong. This was tearing them apart. And yet, the sons of Feanor were still driven by this oath. But Maedhros and Maglor won the day, though they alone remained thereafter of the sons of Feanor, for both Amrod and Amras were slain. Two sons left, Maedhros and Maglor. And you might be wondering, what about the rest of the people? What about the people in Belar? What about Círdan and Gilgalad? Surely they must have had more people. Couldn't they have helped out or given them a way to escape? And this is explained. Too late the ships of Círdan and Gilgalad, the high king, came hastening to the aid of the elves of Syrian. And Elwing was gone and her sons. Then such few of that people as did not perish in the assault joined themselves to Gilgalad and went with him to Balar, and they told that Elros and Elrond were taken captive. But Elwing, with the Silmaril upon her breast, had cast herself into the sea. This foils the plans of Maedhros and Maglor. She disappears into the waves, and they take the sons, the boys at this point, Elros and Elrond, as captives. And Arendil is too late. Círdan and Gilgalad are too late. 
But what happens next is amazing. And I can't wait to go over it with you after the mid-break. All right, it's time for the middle of the show where we get to thank our newest patrons and let's shout out Ryan W and Brisfan and Michael E and David H. Welcome to the Patreon friends and uh, thank you to also our VIP patrons who get shout outs every week. Let's go through the list. We've got Austin C, Azazrazel, Azalrazel, Azalrazel, man, I messed that one up words is hard Bo, brad s brandy d chewbacca christopher d david s david m drupal esoteric rage gavin laugh goldberry jesse p katie s capenna 009 larry lauren c michael e nick k obi-wan kenobi patrick w sam b and shannon l and t-rex and tj rice tour son of whore tyler m and west p Thank you so much to all of you and to all 193 of our current patrons. Holy moly. So thank you for your support. I genuinely appreciate it. And also, if you are interested in helping to support this show, if this show is getting you through your workday, if it is helping you with your commute, if it is just making life a little bit better and you would like to make sure that it keeps going, then go to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast and check out all the different tiers, all the different things you can get, including t-shirts and shout outs and eh, no ads and all of that stuff. Episodes a day early. Lots of cool stuff over there. So thank you to all of you for your support. Also, thank you to those of you who take the time to leave reviews because these are very, very, very helpful. I uh, was looking through, I, I just moved hosting platforms recently and was looking through some of the other podcatchers and so many of them pull reviews from Apple Podcasts onto their platform. So when you review the show on Apple Podcasts, it's actually spreading out to multiple other locations as well. So lots of other people are seeing your reviews on those platforms. Uh, so here, let's get into it. We've got two more this week. This one is from Josh the Noldor in Canada who writes, Tom is awesome. Well, thanks. I think you're awesome. Uh, it, it, they say right here, the Lord of the Rings lore cast is easily my favorite way of taking in the lore and stories of Tolkien's amazing works. Tom makes the contents of Tolkien's works easy to understand and digest. He makes the stories feel even more alive and immersive with the use of sound effects and parallels to real world mythology and events. Tom is an amazing host and reader, and I look forward to a new episode every week. Also, I love when he tells stories of him teaching his kids about the events of the first age. 10 out of 10. What an awesome show. Yeah, sharing this stuff with your kids is probably one of the best things you can possibly do in life. So I hope those of you with kids are enjoying it. And those of you with parents are also enjoying it. And uh, or grandparents or grandkids or I mean, you could expand this out to nieces and nephews. Did I say ne I almost said nieces and nephews? <sighs> wow. All right, the other one comes from Veronway of Gondolin, who writes, this is from the US, who writes, Lorecast to five stars. Robots, I found the lore cast about a month ago as I began reading the Silmarillion yet again and have binged through all of your episodes. Great stuff. Please keep up the good work. It is much appreciated and may the stars shine upon the end of your road. Oh, how kind of you. That That's so nice. I'll, may the star shine upon the beginning of your road also and the end of it. Uh, thank you to everybody for your support. And if you do listen on 
platforms like Spotify, then rating it five stars on there is also extremely helpful. Plus, you can leave little comments on the most recent episodes about things you liked about the episode. So thank you to everybody. You are absolutely the best human beings on the planet. It's true. I asked everybody and we all came to that same consensus. So, all right, let's move on with the rest of the story. So you're probably wondering here, what happens to Elwing? She throws herself into the sea. What a desperate way to not allow the Silmaril in the hands of Feanor's sons. But it, it's gone. They can't reach it. They can't reach her. But you know who else is in the sea? Ulmo. Ulmo controls the sea. And Elwing has learned to trust him. And maybe this factored into her decision. We don't have that in the text. But it pays off. Quote, For Ulmo bore up Elwing out of the waves, and he gave her the likeness of a great white bird. And upon her breast there shone as a star the Silmaril. As she flew over the water to seek Erendil, her beloved. She is turned into a bird, or at least given the likeness of a bird. By Olmo. Amazing. Totally unexpected. Sounds like it's right out of myth. And yet this happens in the story. We are not so far forward in the world of the Lord of the Rings, in the time of Middle Earth and the ages of the world that these kinds of events are not still happening. It feels like so much of what we've gone through recently is all grounded in this less magical world, in a sense. Sure, you've got the veil of Doriath or uh, some of the other magical things that are happening. These are elves, of course. There's going to be magic. But yet so much of it seems bound in swords and hiding in the woods and like these very real kinds of things. And then in this moment, we end up with another amazing event. On a time of night, Arendelle at the helm of his ship saw her come towards him as a white cloud exceedingly swift beneath the moon, as a star over the sea moving in strange course. Let's pause there, because you have to think about this the way that mariners would think about this. Sea traveling individuals would have been very, very keen on watching the sky and the stars. It's how they navigated at night. And here was a star seemingly moving in the sky toward their ship. This was clearly a sign of something. The text goes on. A pale flame on wings of storm. And it is sung that she fell from the air upon the timbers of Vingolet in a swoon, nigh unto death for the urgency of her speed. And Erendil took her to his bosom. But in the morning, with marveling eyes, he beheld his wife 
in her own form beside him with her hair upon his face. And she slept. So a bird falls out of the sky, a bird that is radiant as a star and as terrible as a storm falls from the sky into the boat. And Arendil holds on to this creature who is near death. Basically, it's the text is saying that he cuddles it, takes her to his bosom. He holds it in an embrace throughout the night. And by morning, realizes that she, in fact, is his wife. Near death, but now sleeping. So now we know that she is safe, and the Silmaril is safe as well. But unfortunately, most of the people who lived at the mouth of the Syrian were slain by the sons of Feanor. But what about Elros and Elrond? Well, the text goes on and says, Great was the sorrow of Arendil and Elwing for the ruin of the havens of Syrian and the captivity of their sons, and they feared that they would be slain. But it was not so, for Maglor took pity on Elros and Elrond, and he cherished them, and love grew after between them, as little might be thought. But Maglor's heart was sick and weary with the burden of the dreadful oath. So the boys are not harmed. In fact, they are, although they are captives, they are treated kindly and they are raised by Maglor and his people. And this little paragraph, and it is a little paragraph when it comes to Tolkien's paragraphs, it's kind of put in here right in the middle of what's happening with Arendil and Elwing, because I think the assumption was probably from Christopher Tolkien that we would be worried about them. What is going on with them? Are they safe? But also it answers the question in a kind of roundabout way of why Arendil and Elwing don't turn back to Beleriand, to Middle Earth. Because the next paragraph says this, yet Arendil saw now no hope left in the lands of Middle-earth. And he turned again in despair and came not home. He doesn't go home. He doesn't seek out his children, which seems kind of crazy. What parent would leave their children to be captives of the enemy? And yet we are told here that he saw no hope left in the lands, that his justification, I think, is... If he can't get the Valar to step in at all, it doesn't matter that his children are in the hands of the enemy because they will all be dead. So he needed to do something more drastic. And then it goes on and says, but sought back once more to Valinor with Elwing at his side. He stood now most often at the prow of Vingalut with the Silmaril bound upon his brow and ever its light grew greater as they drew into the west. And the wise have said that it was by reason of the power of that holy jewel that they came in time to waters that no vessel save those of the Teleri had known. And they came to the enchanted isles and escaped their enchantment 
and they came into the shadowy seas and passed their shadows. And they took upon Tol Aresia, the lonely isle, but tarried not. And at the last, they cast anchor in the Bay of Eldamar. And the Teleri saw the coming of that ship out of the east, and they were amazed, gazing from afar upon the light of the Silmaril, and it was very great. Then Erendil, first of living men, landed on the immortal shores, and he spoke there to Elwing and to those that were with him, and there were three mariners who had sailed all the seas beside him, Falathor, Erelant, and Erendir were their names. And Arendil said to them, Here none but myself shall set foot, lest you all fall under the wrath of the Valar. But that peril I will take on myself alone, for the sake of the two kindreds. But Elwing answered, Then would our paths be sundered forever. But all thy perils I will take on myself also. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.